Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Muy buenos dias. Wake up, America. It's Friday, March 10th. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on this Friday in the second week of Lent. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Fridays, I always take a moment to remember the sacred heart of Jesus, as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray the Stations of the Cross sometime today if you can, if you get a chance, uh, either on your own or at your parish. Again, it's a beautiful devotion uh, to do here uh, during Lent on Fridays. Quick reminder, uh, today, uh, of course, uh, Fridays in Lent uh, are also days of abstinence, so there is no meat today. And uh, for everybody else, uh, keep in mind that you want to continue with whatever you've been giving up. Uh, fasting and prayer, uh, whatever you've given up uh, during uh, this uh, holy time. I want to bring in our team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, we're a few of the big stories making headlines here this hour on this Friday morning. No, oh, it seems like a long time ago. Ten years ago, we were just into the, uh, the early part of the second term of President Obama as Pope Francis was beginning his pontificate. Monday will mark 10 years and kind of in advance of that uh, in Italian media today. story came out uh, once again about Pope Francis saying that he would be willing to resign if he gets to the point where he feels he can't handle the job. Again, no new news about anything being imminent, which is kind of repeating as he looks upon uh, 10 years of great service to the Lord and to the church that uh, he would be willing to step aside like his predecessor if he doesn't feel he's physically up to the job. Yeah, Glenn, and and of course, uh, this is uh, in light of this upcoming uh, 10th anniversary of his pontificate, which will occur this coming Monday, uh, March 13th. The Holy Father, in that uh, interview uh, with the uh, Italian media, uh, also said that he felt a bit ashamed uh, to use a wheelchair due to his knee injury, something that he's been dealing with. We see images of him in the wheelchair uh, holding a cane, um, but uh, this is... Uh, the reality the Holy Father knows uh, of getting older. And so um, Holy Father uh, obviously uh, thinking of what would happen if uh, he were totally incapacitated. And, and according to reports, he's actually signed uh, a resignation letter in the past in the event if that were to ever happen. Yeah, so he's been thinking about it. It seems like a very humble way to go about it, perhaps. So with the two predecessors, interesting, you know, you've had the example of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict uh, doing that, and then uh, also uh, persevering through much, much suffering in old age, uh, Pope John Paul II before that. And Ab- so, uh, yeah, Ab- a couple of interesting examples. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I, so vividly, I, I remember uh, Pope John Paul II in a wheelchair uh, in his final days, and, uh, you know, he went through so much suffering, but... But he also was a great um, inspiration and reminder 
of the value, uh, the redemptive value of suffering. And obviously that's something that Pope Francis himself uh, understands, but he also understands his human limitations. Uh, Just uh, from a historical perspective, only five popes uh, have resigned and it's been verified uh, in history, uh, including, of course, uh, Pope Francis's predecessor, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, who uh, was the first one to do so in nearly 600 years. So uh, we continue to pray for uh, the health of the Holy Father. You know, and uh, just thinking for a moment, too, about the uh, the elderly, experienced leadership we have in the U.S., uh, President Biden, over 80, the uh, Senate leader uh, who was hospitalized this week after a fall, Mitch McConnell, at 81 years of, uh, of age, and, uh, and how they look at continuing into their later years as well. Absolutely. So uh, I think that uh, Pope Francis uh, can be a, a good example for uh, for everyone. Um, moving along, I understand that there is a uh, an update on the Mexican cartel uh, that kidnapped the four Americans uh, and unfortunately resulting uh, in uh, two uh, deaths. Uh, what do we know? Yeah, the story not over yet. Those four Americans that were kidnapped on their way uh, reportedly from uh, the Carolinas uh, down for some plastic surgery on one of them, a tummy tuck. In, in Mexico, two were killed, two have been returned to the U.S. The cartel supposedly that made this happen has dumped five guys they say were the uh, the kind of the squad in charge that shouldn't have done that. And so they uh, turned them in, uh, if indeed uh, those are really the guys that were involved. Uh, that's interesting. Also, uh, reports are uh, a lot of backstory in terms of a long rap sheet for all of the four that were in Mexico. Uh, it doesn't mean they weren't doing what they said they were doing, but uh, you know, I think the story is not quite over yet, John. No question about it. And uh, and I I thought also it was it was interesting that uh, th- these cartel guys turned in their own guys because they realized uh, that what they did was just way over the top. Well, they claim that they care about innocent life, right? They're willing to to kill one another in the gang wars down there. But uh, if indeed those really are the guys from that particular cartel, that's also a possibility. So uh, I think a lot more still to come on this story. All right, uh, Glenn, uh, on the college uh, basketball front, have you had a chance to catch any of these exciting um, conference uh, tournament games that have been going on all week long? Well, my sad Minnesota Gophers uh, have had a very tough year, but they did win their first game uh, two nights ago, but lost last night. So they're they're done for the year. You know, I tell you, around the country as uh, March Madness begins to stir, and we find out pretty soon who will be who will be playing. It's hockey madness in the state of Minnesota. And I know you're going, oh, it's just Minnesota. Well, nineteen thousand folks come out to to watch a few high school hockey games on the semifinal night tonight. So that's really been dominating the TV in our house, John. Yeah, that is uh, that is quite exciting. Uh, hockey is obviously uh, uh, reign supreme there in this in the state of, of Minnesota. Uh, ba- back to March Madness. Uh, there's uh, 32 automatic bids of, of the teams that win these conference champions uh, championships. You know, the Big Ten, the Big East, the Pac-10, um, and then there's many many other teams that are on the bubble trying to make uh, the 68 team field. Selection Sunday is coming up this Sunday. Um, in the, some of the favorites, uh, according to the experts, Houston, Alabama, Kansas, and Purdue, favorites to reach the Final Four, which will be happening this year in Houston on uh, April the 1st with the national championship game uh, two days later uh, on, on that Monday night. So uh, a lot of excitement coming up. Uh, you you got to love March Madness, uh, especially with those incredible, uh, um, you know, come-from-behind wins and the Cinderella stories that uh, come in year after year. 
Yeah, yeah. When it was uh, held in Minnesota a few years ago in uh, Virginia, uh, taking the championship that year, nobody expected that. Uh, it's to be a lot of excitement, and uh, you know, several watching for the quality of the game, others just to make sure that bracket uh, goes as far as it can. And uh, I'll be keeping an eye on uh, Team USA in the World uh, Baseball Classic. Uh, they'll be taking on Great Britain um, t- uh, tomorrow night uh, in their first game in the, this World Baseball Classic. So uh, a lot of stuff going on, uh, Glenn. Meanwhile, we have a uh, uh, another uh, interesting uh, story. They we almost I almost forgot. Uh, today is uh, National Mario Day. Uh, Sarah, uh, take it away. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't forget because this is this is one of the the best best parts of the day is Mario Day. Come on, we waited all year. Now it's <laughs> finally here, March 10th, and you know Mario has come a long way from the beginning. He did 1980s and 90s. He really kind of got his start. There's some uh, some controversy over whether or not he is the character that is in the original Donkey Kong or not. Maybe that was his father. There's a lot of storylines. I'm not sure why there's so many storylines. With that, but over 200 games now, so he has come a very, very long way. And uh, one of my personal favorites is uh, the Super uh, Mario Brothers on the, the Super Nintendo. So that's one of my favorite games. But uh, one of I, I, last uh, hour we talked about some of the good sounds, some of the bad sounds. And um, in each game, the good sounds and bad sounds sound a little bit different. So I shared some with the original Nintendo. But you know, if you're going to hear this in the Super Nintendo, you didn't make it. Hopefully you have an extra life. Otherwise, you're going to be restarting there. But if you you, don't want to hear that, you don't want to hear if you hear it more than once, you're just having a bad day. Maybe you should start over. But if you do get this, then you probably got a good mushroom there. So you're getting a little bit bigger. And if you heard this sound up, you got another life. So it's good because you're going to probably can hear that game over soon. So there's lots of fun sounds. Um, With Mario and the many, many different games of Mario, including Mario Kart and uh, the Mario Golf and tennis and many different Donkey Kong games that kind of all kind of Yoshi games that all kind of spun off of Mario. So he's doing really well for himself. Uh, Games that you guys played. I know you guys aren't Mario fans, but what are some games that uh, you played, Glenn? Well, in the old days, in the old days, uh, my uh, grade school, one of my grade school best buddies, his mom worked at a nearby bowling alley, and so he'd bowl once in a while and hang out in the arcade portion, which had uh, many, many uh, pinball machines. But the early, early, there it is, yeah, the Pong game, you know, the kind of TV table tennis for you there. Uh, that, and then there was a top-down, uh, uh, those sad noises, <laughs> top-down racing game with only one obstacle that was a little bit of an oil slick. And uh, you didn't have a big steering wheel you could operate, but... Talk about great sounds. I mean, talk about excitement there. My goodness, how do you how do you beat that? I, and then you know, I don't know. Real life started, and uh, and then uh, you know, people like yourself took over and <laughs> had some good fun there. Hey, and by the way, I want to encourage folks today. Maybe at eleven central, you can call up Josh Raymond on the Inner Life and uh, ask him a question about Atari. Some of the Atari football games. He's a pro at some of those old school. Uh, football video games as well. Yeah, you never know what they're going to talk about on the inner life. So that might be a topic that they'd be talking about. <laughs> I love the sound effects. I feel like I'm in an arcade this morning. Uh, as always, thanks so much, Sarah and Glenn. Thanks, sure thing, John. We always begin every hour here on the show in prayer. 
giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, always remembering that every day is a blessing, every day is a gift. And we always pray through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, the Mother of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning. Wouldn't think of doing a show without the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. And if you want to reach us directly with your thoughts or any story ideas you might have, our email is morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, one thing's for sure, there are many, many great resources out there to help Catholics explore the truth, beauty, and the goodness of our Catholic faith. But uh, how many are both fun and informative? Can Catholicism be actually funny? After all, God has a sense of humor. He is the author of all comedy. Check out this clip on Lent from Catholic Central. What's up? Well, Libby, I really want to do Lent right this year, you know? All right, take a seat. Let's get started. Oh, no. No sitting or reclining for me during Lent. It's far too comfortable. Also, no solid foods, no clothing fresh out of the dryer, no electronics. Whoa, hold on. That might be a little too extreme. I mean, no electronics. Oh, no. I've already failed. Well, maybe now you won't feel too guilty about sitting down. I feel guilty about everything. And wacky. <laughs> you gotta love it. I recently spoke to Father David Guffey, the executive producer of Catholic Central, to talk about how humor can be actually used to evangelize, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father Guffey uh, also serves as the national director and head of production at Family Theater Productions in Hollywood, California, which was founded back in 1947 and uh, has a long history of creating faith-based and family-friendly programs for film, television, and the internet. He has also written and directed award-winning short films. Here's my conversation with Father David Guffey. Good morning, Father Guffey. Thanks so much for joining us on Morning Air for the first time. Uh, it is a joy to be with you. John, thank you for having me. Uh, it is uh, it is really a great topic, something that we haven't explored here uh, since I took over this show, uh, the idea of our Catholic faith and comedy. Can you explain to us uh, from your experience and, and what, the great work that you're doing uh, with Catholic Central how uh, Catholicism can be funny? You know, um, I, I had a theology professor in the seminary who said that humor was one of the signs of the presence of God. Um, when we can just oppose what, what is with what we think it is, that clash so often ends up in humor. I think a lot of the things that Jesus said were probably said with a smile in his face. Some of the parables, I think, in his day would have been funny. I mean, because they were so challenging and because they kind of turned uh, 
understanding upside down in a way. So I think there's a lot more humor in our tradition than we can ever imagine. I got to believe that uh, uh, something is uh, lost in the trend in the uh, translation when we read the gospels and like you like you said our lord uh, may, may have actually gotten a, a few chuckles in some of the things that he used to say uh, to his disciples. Absolutely. I think of the road to Emmaus where he's walking along and these these two people are it's after the after the crucifixion, the empty tomb, two two apostles, disciples walking down the road kind of talking and he says, what are you talking about? And they said, haven't you heard? And he said, oh, what thing? I mean, it's almost like a, a little joke he's playing on them. Of course he knows what happened, but he's trying to get them to engage. There's lots of humor in the gospel. That is a, that is a great, <laughs> great observation, Father Guffey. Well, tell us, what inspired you to, to uh, uh, combine a comedy uh, with our faith? Uh, uh, obviously, in the way in which you're, you're doing it now uh, with Catholic Central. It started from a more serious concern. It started with the concern that and we had done research about Catholic families and passing on the faith. And at the time we did the research, we found that 68% of Catholic kids were in no religious education at all, not youth group, not confirmation, not Catholic school. But we know those kids have questions. We, we know anecdotally from working as, as pass, in parishes and pastoral work, that kids are looking for answers to things. And where do they turn? They turn to the internet. But when they go to the internet, you have to grab their attention. You have to get, you have to get it so that they'll listen through the whole video, that they'll listen to the whole lesson. And so I worked with a, a wonderful religious educator, a wonderful communicator named David Impostato, and we put together this series, and it's um, been used widely. People are really, really enjoying it. Well, Father, I, uh, I got a chance to see uh, some of your videos. Uh, they're very funny, and I can see how they could really capture uh, the attention of clips. We have another clip uh, from uh, the Ten Commandments from Catholic Central. that I want to get your reaction on the other side. Hey, Nick, what you doing out there? Oh, hey, Gabby. <laughs> um, so St. Peter said that I could come into heaven as long as I match up the keys with the Ten Commandments. Do you think you could give me a hand? You don't know the Ten Commandments. I mean, how'd you get this far? No, no, I, I do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it, it, it's just I'm I'm a little bit flustered. Um, but you obviously know what they are because you got in. So, uh, what's the fifth commandment? Oh, that's easy. Thou shalt not steal. Yes, you're a saint. Thank you. <laughs> Works every time. Father Guffey, uh, it takes a special talent to be able to pull this off. Uh, tell us about uh, some of the folks at, at Catholic Central who are producing these uh, hilarious uh, videos. We have a great team. Um, we have a writer-director, um, producer named uh, uh, Susanna Duenas, who's the current producer. She follows in the steps of Mary Ashley Burton. Uh, and what she did is she hired, we hire entertainment writers who are Catholics, who, who are formed in the faith. We give them an outline of sort of the main teaching points we want to include, but then let them go at their work. Uh, and then we review them theologically so that we make sure that they're sound at the end of the day so that the, the information is accurate. But we also uh, workshop them and, and, and work with them in rehearsals and that to try to um, work with the actors who then especially give the actors, the hosts, 
who are also people of faith, uh, they kind of give it life as it comes off the script. And so uh, these segments are not only funny, but they're orthodox. They're, they're teaching the real deal. They are. And we've been really pleased at the reactions we've gotten from religious educators around the country. And there's a number of dioceses, including New York and Los Angeles, who've included Catholic Central on their official list of catechetical resources for the, the diocese. So they're getting a lot of support for religious educators because on that point alone. That is uh, fantastic to hear. Those are two big markets in New York and, and uh, L.A., uh, two big archdioceses, the two biggest, I believe, in, in our country. Um, uh, Father Guffey, um, can you talk about some of the other um, topics uh, that uh, are addressed uh, in, in your shows? Sure. When we first started talking about the series, we made a list of about 200, 250 topics that we might cover. What we've tried to do is pick topics that kind of fall within units. Catholic uh, history, Catholic doctrine, Catholic spirituality, uh, liturgy and sacraments. And so we, um, we pick the topics and we try to, we, but we also try to pick things that we know kids are interested in. We have a couple of, epi- of episodes of Catholic Central, for example, on the relationship between faith and science. A lot of people have the mistaken view that if you're a Catholic, you don't believe in science. My gosh, Catholics invented science. Um, there was, it was a Catholic monk who came up with a, the scientific method. And we try to communicate some of those things. So it's a combination of kind of things that are pretty important to know, combined with things that we think that kids will be Googling or looking up on YouTube because they have questions about. Faith and science definitely uh, sounds like something that, that kids would be interested in. I know my kid, uh, he's 15. He, he even liked to, to chime in on, on those uh, segments on faith and science. Uh, Father, what ages uh, ideally are, are you trying to go after? You know, when we wrote the series, we wrote it for middle school through uh, high school. But our audience, we found that it appeals to an uh, older audience as well. So on, on the demographics on the, the, on the Internet, we're seeing people from middle high school to about 30. Uh, so, and, and it's being widely used in, especially during COVID when people are on lockdown, a, a lot of religious educa- religious classes in high school used it. So uh, it's, it's skewing in that age group. And we, but um, we've also had people email and tell us or talk to us and tell us that they're using it in the rite of Christian initiation for adults, the process by which people become Catholic in the, the Catholic church. So it's written for a younger audience but it seems to appeal uh, more broadly. Uh, Father Guffey, can you take us through the process, uh, you know, to developing, uh, you know, a topic, uh, for example, like uh, the the faith in science? How long does it take uh, to write it, uh, to come up with the concept, and then to, to actually make it into uh, programs? Sure. Starts with the idea. Then we, we kind of talk about that on the team. We, we create a little bit of an, a, a brief outline. We pick the right writer for that topic. Some of our writers are better with, you know, some areas than others. We send it to the writer. Usually it takes, you know, two weeks to a month for the writer to get a script back to us. Um, we do notes to the writer then, and we do the first theological review at that point. We send it back to the writer if there's a need for a rewrite. He sends it back to us. We do a table read with the whole team and the hosts, you know, to hear what it sounds like. And if there's any further notes, we send it back to the writer. Then we do another theological review before we, we go on set. And then we shoot about eight or 10 of them at a time. Um, 
And then after the editing process is done, and that we shoot over a period of a few days, usually takes a couple of weeks to edit it. Um, and then we do a theological review and then we post it and it goes out in the air. We try to release one every two weeks. So uh, it, it is a, a process. It, it takes a little bit of time. You don't just spring these things up overnight. No, no, it, it's a whole involved process. And we have a great team. It's been really fun to see the ways that people are really anxious to use their talents and gifts um, for the church and for things that kind of build up the world. It, it's been really a lot of fun and edifying to work with some of these Hollywood professionals. Well, I, I know that, uh, that you're uh, also involved with the, the family of theater productions, uh, uh, Father Peyton, the family that prays together, stays together. Uh, we have our, our family rosary across America here every night with Father Rocky, and he constantly uh, reminds folks of, of that theme that uh, Father Peyton made uh, so famous. And uh, there's always some funny moments even in that rosary, especially with the little kids. You know, Kids can be very funny when they ask questions about the faith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful to engage. I love the rosary. In L.A., it comes on at five o'clock, which is about the time I'm usually in my car heading from my office to the parish. And uh, those moments can be great. And it's, um, yeah, kids, kids especially. I, that's, we, we do some live events with the hosts and with our team. And it's great, the kinds of things that will come out of people's mouths. Well, you're doing fantastic work. Uh, where can our listeners uh, watch uh, uh, the, the good work of, of Catholic Central? There's a website, catholiccentral.com. And the other thing that I would just point out is with each episode, if people want to go deeper, and we hope they do, we ho- this isn't the final word on any of the topics, but we hope it will make them want to go deeper. We have a list of resources, video, uh, articles, and other things that they can go and they can go deeper into the topic. That's at catholiccentral.com. We're also on YouTube and on social media. And that was my recent uh, conversation with Father David Guffey, the executive producer of Catholic Central and the national director of the Family Theater Productions in Hollywood, California. For much more, um, take a look at catholiccentral.com. There's some really, really funny videos there. We need to take a a short break. When we come back, a Catholic and pro-life attorney and Morning Air contributor Mary Helen Fiorita will join us to talk about Women's History Month and the recent International Day of the Woman and how the early American feminists were actually pro-life. So stay with us as uh, this Friday edition of Morning Air rolls on here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. Can you feel it? Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday morning as we are headed down the stretch of this show. If you want to reach us directly with any thoughts or story ideas that you might have, uh, our email is morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on Twitter, our handle at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. Now, as we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The promise that the Lord is our only strength is just as true today as it was in the days of Joshua. God has promised to be with us in every difficulty, in every tough time that we face, in every problem, whatever comes our way. Our Lord Jesus Christ commands us to be strong and courageous. Uh, Do not be afraid, for he is with us always until the end of the age. We always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew Mariani prays every day in the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, once again, if you want to be part of the program, 888 Now, did you know that the early American feminists were actually pro-life? That's right. During uh, this Women's History Month and after celebrating the International Day of the Woman uh, just a few days ago on March 8th, we're going to talk about how uh, the feminist foremothers opposed abortion and sought to address the root causes that drive women to abortion. Listen to Saren Foster, the president of Feminists for Life, uh, from my pro-life documentary, The 40 Film. Abortion is a betrayal of feminism. This is animal farm feminism. This is something we all reject because it, ba- it rejects the basic tenets of feminism, which are nonviolence, non-discrimination, and justice for all. We know that abortion is a reflection that we have not met the needs of women, and women deserve better. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito with much more on the early American feminists. Mary is an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to be with you once again on another Friday. Good morning, John, and good morning to all your listeners. I love that line of Sarah Foster's animal farm feminism. Um, Boy, she really hits the nail on the head with that characterization, doesn't she? Absolutely. And uh, we're really going to dive into this because I I think that there's a lot of misconceptions uh, about it. Uh, Mary, the so-called feminists nowadays uh, are not what the feminist foremothers, as they're called, were originally. Can you give us some perspective uh, on how the early American feminists were actually pro-life? Right. This often comes as a surprise to many. And I remember a few years ago when uh, President Trump pardoned Susan B. Anthony, um, because she had tried to vote illegally and she was convicted by an all-male jury and uh, she was given a $100 fine, which would have been astronomical back in the day, but she refused to pay it. So she was still actually had this conviction on her record and he uh, and he pardoned her. And of course, uh, with him at the pardon was the head of the Susan B. Anthony list, Marjorie Dannenfelser, which is a great, wonderful pro-life organization. Um, that took a lot of people by surprise, as does the fact that Susan B. Anthony herself was very pro-life, as was Elizabeth Cady Stanton, with whom she published uh, a, a newspaper, a feminist newspaper called The Revolution. Um, in fact, their their paper, which was never very successful financially, and in fact, it, it did go out of business eventually. Um, you know, unborn children were protected legally at the time, but there were still, you know, irresponsible 
and unethical abortionists who would place these ads in women's papers, very thinly veiled ads for abortion. And they were very lucrative because even back then, abortion, you know, was a lucrative business. Um, but they refused to take it. They, they uh, you know, referred to it as, as something akin to blood money, and they didn't even want to touch it because they saw abortion as a means by which men exploited women. And that if women couldn't be accepted in the gift that they bring of bearing children, and if that wasn't going to be accommodated by society, that was a position that, that actually hurt women in the long run. And right, we see, the, we see the fruits of that today, don't we? I mean, you have Amazon, which is offering its female employees $4,000 if they want to travel to have an abortion. And at the same time, they're being sued in federal court for pregnancy discrimination. So we see that abortion becomes the easy way out for everyone, for irresponsible men, for corporations who, who don't want to have to pay 12 weeks of maternity care, right? It, it becomes the great solution to all of what are sometimes called women's problems. And the early feminists saw this, and they saw that if abortion became legal and widely used, it would wind up hurting women, and it would wind up hurting us when we needed time off, when we needed accommodations during pregnancy, and they have absolutely proved to be prophetic in that regard. Uh, meanwhile, uh, in this age, and in fact, just the other day, we, we obviously we celebrated the uh, International uh, Day of, of the Woman. Uh, this is uh, Women's History Month. And uh, I, I was just doing just some just basic looking into uh, what exactly does this mean? What do they stand for? And, uh, you know, even uh, Wikipedia, for example, just a, a simple uh, explanation of International Women's Day. Uh, it, it talks about uh, bringing issues uh, to uh, the attention of gender equality, uh, reproductive rights, which obviously it means abortion uh, and violence and abuse against women. The reproductive rights part, the abortion, uh, that, that is uh, not what, what the early uh, pioneer uh, women, the, the early feminists uh, believed, which is really an inconvenient truth for uh, today's uh, women. Right, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the word violence. One of the things that you know, Susan B. Anthony was a Quaker, and so she was very much opposed to anything that involved violence as a solution to a problem. And abortion is violence. It is violence against the woman. It is certainly violence against the unborn child. And I do not need to, at this time of the morning, um, be explicit in describing the different abortion procedures, but they are violent. Anytime you are forcibly tearing apart the body of another human being without anesthesia, that is violence against that person. And so it was from that principle as well, in addition to um, the ways in which it harmed women, it was their, their deep commitment to nonviolent so solutions to social problems that also motivated the early feminists to oppose abortion. It is a violent act. It is medicalized violence against women and children. And uh, the reality is, is that uh, that violent act uh, now has uh, taken on a, a different face, a different form, now that uh, more than 50 percent of all abortions are uh, from the abortion pill. So even though it may appear to be safe, it's definitely not safe and it's not good for women. Oh, no, it's not. And in fact, there are all sorts of different contraindications uh, for the abortion pill procedure. And it's very traumatizing in a different way to women, because unlike the surgical abortions, where the abortion provider is performing the abortion on the woman with the pill abortion, she's taking the pills herself. So she becomes the moral agent. 
And the, the trauma that comes from that is very specific to her in a way that wasn't present with surgical abortions. Our, our dear friend, Vicki Thorne, um, who's now with the Lord, she had just begun to write about this in, in some length before the Lord called her home, that, that priests who do the Project Rachel work, so that's the, the church's ministry to post-abortion women, uh, women who have had abortions, was going to need to kind of catch up to this this new um, abortion pill regime and how many women were using it because the healing process is so different because of the woman's very specific and personal part that she plays in it. Well, we've got um, audio from a, a very powerful uh, uh, testimony of, uh, of Jules Green, a former abortion clinic worker uh, who had had a few abortions, and she had what she calls a aha moment. Uh, you're going to want to hear this on the other side of the break. Uh, we need to take a time out, but first I want to bring in our, our listeners, specifically any women out there uh, that may feel passionately about the issue uh, of life. If you have any thoughts on pro-life women, uh, are they the real f- uh, feminists? And also any thoughts on how the early American feminists were actually pro-life. Uh, we're taking your calls uh, for a Catholic and pro-life attorney, um, Mary Helen Fiorito at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. If you're a woman and you're pro-life and you want to chime in, uh, this is the opportunity. We're going to take a a short break. We'll continue our conversation uh, with Mary. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. moment, right, of being pro-choice, and then I have three living children, that didn't even do it. It was learning of a surrogate mother, an acquaintance, friend of a friend, who part of her contract was genetic testing on the baby she was carrying for a genetically unrelated couple. And she had the testing done, and it came back positive for Down syndrome, so the baby would be born with Down syndrome and she was offered payment of her contract in full to abort, and she did. And that's when the light bulb finally went off that children are now a commodity to be created and bought and sold and discarded. And it finally led me to, be, to question, to really question my deeply held beliefs and also to examine my own role and take responsibility in my own role in the death of my first child and my role in the deaths of thousands of children at the center. And that was a very moving and powerful uh, testimony by Jules Green, a former abortion clinic uh, worker, a former member of uh, Feminists for Life, who shared her testimony uh, on uh, the Pro-Life 40 film. Welcome back to Morning Air as uh, we continue uh, talking about uh, Women's History Month and International Day of Women and how the early feminists were actually pro-life. Again, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, our number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, as uh, we continue uh, chatting this morning with our regular contributor uh, here to Morning Air, Mary Helen Fiorito. Uh, she's an attorney, a public speaker, uh, speaks passionately about pro-life issues and especially a religious freedom. Uh, Mary, I'd love to get your take on uh, what Jules Green shared. Oh, that, that was just really heartbreaking. And it's a very timely clip to share as well, John, because 
you know, People Magazine this week is um, has been featuring quite a few stories about this new biography, autobiography, rather, of Paris Hilton that's coming out. And she revealed not only that she had had an abortion in her early 20s, but also that she has 20 male uh, frozen embryos that she has created with her now husband and that they're they're just waiting now um, because they're all boys. And she was kind of lamenting the fact that all the embryos that she has frozen, 20 of them are all boys and that they really want a girl as well as a boy. And it just, that this is so normalized that it's sort of a puff, you know, publicity piece in People magazine. I mean, should give everyone pause. Um, Again, the commodification of children, and this is not in any way to dismiss the real heartbreak that infertility can bring to a couple. But when you take this, these, you know, the buying and selling of, of embryos and of, you know, eggs and of sperm and you, and you make it a business, this is just the natural result of it. And that poor child, um, you know, that now that, that uh, we, we can see the way people with Down syndrome have been um, now that they're so much better cared for, how their presence is such a gift among us and to abort a child for the, for the sole reason that that child had an extra chromosome. It is it is just heartbreaking when there are actually waiting lists for families who want to adopt children with Down syndrome. Um, you know, there was one of the uh, nominated short films for the Oscars this year features an actor who has Down syndrome, an Irish actor who has Down syndrome. Um, we can see that, you know, they, they are members of the human family. And you can you can rarely talk to a family with a, a child who has Down syndrome who doesn't talk about that child, as Amy Coney Barrett did with her youngest little boy who has Down syndrome as the most loved and beloved member of their families. It's just heartbreaking to hear something like that. And it's uh, part of the propaganda that's out there on social media, the mainstream media. It seems like everywhere trying to to normalize uh, abortion in so many different ways. Uh, Mary, can you can you talk about how the pro life movement is the true movement uh, for women? You know, you, it's not uh, too hard to see that most of the pro life organizations are actually led uh, by women. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Jeannie Mancini of the March for Life. Oh, sure. You start with, you know, Jeannie Mancini, uh, again, at the March for Life, to Marjorie Dannenfelser at the Susan B. Anthony list, um, to all the way down to pretty much every parish pro-life group, every parish pro-life committee uh, at every Catholic church in the country. They are almost always led by women, almost always. And, 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 and again, as you point out, various national groups and grassroots groups. Um, of course, men are welcome in the pro-life movement and have always played an important part, um, certainly back in the day, too, when it was uh, less uh, ordinary that women worked outside the home. But it really is a very much a women-led movement. And so when I see these, you know, these groups like the National Organization for Women, you know, sort of, they don't say it explicitly, but they really do imply that they speak for all American women. And then when you had that National Women's March on Washington, when uh, Donald Trump was elected president, and they claimed, again, that they were speaking for all American women. But then when they found out that uh, a pro-life group called New Wave Feminists, that they were part of the they were one of the sponsors. They'd actually applied for and been accepted as one of the sponsors. And when they found that out, an article in the Atlantic magazine kind of outed them as a pro-life group. They were told that they could not be sponsors and their their fee was returned and they were told that they were not welcome at the march. Now, they went to the Women's March on Washington anyway, but they were harassed. Their signs were grabbed from them and torn. Uh, one of them, you know, Abby Johnson was actually pushed to the ground, uh, pushed to the sidewalk, and she was um, she was several months pregnant with twins. 
And so there was some really um, violent outbursts against the, the pro-life women who were there because it doesn't fit into the narrative, right, that the mainstream media wants to keep alive is that women who are educated and sophisticated and have many gifts to bring somehow could not possibly have a position against abortion. If they do, they must be dominated by their husbands somehow, you know, um, I mean, this all became very sort of evident, I think, at Amy Coney Barrett's uh, confirmation hearings, if anyone remembers those. And it, remind, it reminded me very much of St. John Paul II's letter to women, and you know, he, where he talks about women who work and women who are you know, present in all sorts of different spheres. But he also talked about what is keeping women from being fully integrated into the social, political, and economic life of different countries. And he said, we need only think of how the gift of motherhood is often penalized rather than rewarded, even though humanity itself owes its survival to this gift. And again, hitting the nail right on the head there. Um, and, and it is because of these pro-abortion feminists who have, who have made it clear to corporations and governments, et cetera, et cetera, and to schools and to colleges that, you know, abortion is this option here, and therefore you don't have to accommodate my pregnancy. You do not have to accommodate the fact that this might be inconvenient for this company or for this university, et cetera, et cetera. So it is really pro-life women who are saying, no, in order to fully accept women and all of our gifts, you need to accommodate the children that we bring with us. Mary, less than a minute to go. Uh, final thoughts, uh, a word of encouragement uh, for pro-life women. Well, you know, again, I would really encourage all women, especially Catholic women who are listening today, to go back and and read that letter, Letter to Women, that's the, the simple title, title of it, by John Paul II, was released about, oh, it was coming up on the 30th anniversary, if you can believe that, because not only is it going to give you encouragement, but it's going to give you a better understanding of the respect that the Church has for the gifts that women bring, all of them, including our gift of motherhood. And it's not to say that the Church expects women never to work outside the home, quite the opposite. In fact, John Paul goes out of his way, St. John Paul goes out of his way to thank women because of the gifts that they bring into the into democracies, into the public square, whenever they are present. But it also upholds our gift to bring children, because humanity depends on our gift of bringing children into the world, and that that needs to be respected along with all of the other things that make us up as women. We'll have to leave it right there, Mary. I so much appreciate your passion for life and your uh, clarity and charity of how you talk about this issue. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me, John. Always a pleasure, and I hope you and your listeners have a wonderful weekend. Mary Helen Fiorito, you can find her on Twitter, at Mary Fiorito. And now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is an unspoken Bible. His name is Bill. He's got wild hair, wears a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans, no shoes. This is literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He's brilliant, kind of esoteric, and very, very bright. He became a Christian recently while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a well-dressed, very conservative church. One day, Bill decides to go there. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, his t-shirt, and wild hair. The service has already started, so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. The church is completely packed, and he can't find a seat. By now, people are really looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer and closer to the pulpit, and when he realizes there are no seats, he just squats down right on the carpet. Although perfectly acceptable behavior at a 
college fellowship. Trust me, this had never happened in this church before. By now, people are getting really uptight and the tension in the air is thick. About this time, the minister realizes that from way in the back of the church, an elder is slowly making his way toward Bill. Now the elder is in his 80s, has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit, a godly man, very elegant, dignified, very courtly. He walks with a cane, and as he starts walking toward this boy, everyone is saying to themselves, well, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and his background to understand some college kid on the floor? It takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is utterly silent, except for the clicking of the man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The minister can't even preach the sermon until the elder does what he has to do. And now they see this elderly man drop his cane on the floor. With great difficulty, he lowers himself and sits down next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. When the minister gains control, he says, What I'm about to preach, you'll never remember. What you have just seen, you'll never forget. Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people will ever read. From John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Glenn, another fabulous story corner as always. Uh, really appreciate it. And that'll do it on this Friday edition of Morning Air. Glenn Leverance is going to be hosting for me next week as I take a, a few days off to be with the family. For Glenn, for producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, and the entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. Have a great weekend. Jesus, I trust in you. The Patrick Madrid Show is next. <laughs>